Welcome to Trinity Radio with Dr. Braxton Hunter and Professor Jonathan Pritchett. We got Dr. Braxton Hunter, pretty talented and well-known apologist, shared the stage with the William Lane Craigs to the Mike Laconas to all those guys. Jonathan Pritchett, Dr. Pritchett is here and he is a New Testament guy, does a lot of stuff, a lot of podcasts, a lot of debates, so on and so forth. You can go out of this room tonight and be a Christian apologist. Now, it may not be that you're able to give the answers, but you know, you can be immediately when we're done here tonight, you can be an answer finder for people. Greetings and welcome to the season finale of season nine for Trinity Radio. I'm John the Pritchett. Along with me is Braxton Hunter. And we have been working hard all year long and we are going to do a recap of some things and talk about some things. So uh, stick with us if you want to hear some things. This is the first word. Joy and pagan holidays. It never fails that when it's Christmas or Easter or Valentine's Day or whenever, uh, some Christians, whether well-intentioned or not, and I'm going to assume probably not, will never fail to post something about the pagan roots to these holidays. Now, first of all, let's suppose that there's a modicum of similarity. Does that mean that they are the roots of what Christians are celebrating? No. Secondly, let's say that they have nothing to do with it. Then why post it at all? When people talk about Easter and Ishtar, for example, for the longest time of my life, Ishtar was one of the biggest flops ever produced uh, in Hollywood that starred Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty. I I had no idea about this pagan stuff when I celebrated the resurrection of Jesus for Easter. I had no idea. And yet now in the age of social media, we have somebody to tell us that you're not worshiping the resurrection of Jesus. You're worshiping some pagan something. Actually, we're not. Most people have no idea about these similar holidays that, uh, that have almost nothing in common with anything that Christians are celebrating except a date. So I'm sorry, well-intentioned, but you're probably not well-intentioned just trying to step on everybody's holiday cheer. Uh, Christians, leave the rest of us alone, please. We don't want to hear it. See, I am a lover of Christian joy. I love joy. You should love joy. And trust me, Christians, not only should you love joy, but you should embrace joy. And you should take joy very seriously. Take joy seriously enough to not let other Christians rob you of it. And now, today's topic. So it's here's not heresy. It's come no, on. No, it's Harris' son. Wow! They gave us nothing but tradition and no argument. All they did was get on this stage, yell real loud, and set a straw man on fire. Okay, now, this is... I... I, I was... Not impressed. <laughs> I, I've never heard of this gentleman before, but. Welcome back to the main show at Trinity Radio. And you've made it to the season finale. You made it this far, but you have one test left. Can you make it through the final episode of the season? We hope that you can, and this is not only the final episode for the season of Trinity Radio, season 9, but on top of that, it is the end of an era. Is it? 
it's it's unclear how long this new era that is the end of the old era will last. Uh, could be a one season, could be a year, could be ten years, probably not. But it is the end of an era in which you and I have talked a lot about soteriology. Oh yeah, well now the, the, it's it, we we put a the official statement was. Are you having a stroke? Well, I guess the official statement was for 2019. He's in the age bracket now. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm. I'm on my way out of the demo of relevance too. And since the last time you guys saw me, I'm 38 now. Yeah. So, but here's the thing: as many of you know, we normally what the way Trinity Radio has gone for years now is that Jonathan will say something about Calvinism. Now, here lately, it's been me right. doing some shots across the bow. Okay. But typically, Jonathan will say some snarky things about Calvinism, or he'll beg me, please, please, can we do a whole show on Calvinism? Because all I love to do is talk about Calvinism. And, yes, that's exactly and, how it goes. <laughs> well, it's hyperbole, but it's not Two entirely Two Calvinism debates to one Calvinism debate. No, and then if you count the other the YouTube debates, you have three debates. If you count Facebook conversations, You've got a it's 10 to 1 you. Okay, fine. <laughs> but here's the thing. Those don't count. What we've, decided, what we've decided is... To, Jonathan decided, and yeah. I was thrilled because I've wanted this for so long, is that we're going to do our best, and we will accomplish this because I have control of the editing yes. software. You can edit your... We will say nothing. How are we going to do this? Okay? We, we will not say anything negative about Calvinism. Now, I can't say as people that work at a seminary that... By the way, if you're a Trinity student, see, this is, this is what I hate. I don't yeah. want to have to do this anymore. Right. But this is how it's gone. He brings it up, and then I have to say, if you're a Trinity student, for lately, or if you're considering Trinity, the fact is, we have both Calvinist and non-Calvinist professors, both Calvinist and non-Calvinist students. We are not an anti-Calvinist school, however you want to define that. We just personally hold to a non-Calvinist position, and as a result of that, uh, we end up talking about it because this show is us talking about stuff that interests us yeah. in terms of apologetics and theology. But it no longer interests us. That's the thing. But, we're just kind of bored with it. But here's the thing. It, we, it's going to come up because yeah. we're, we work at a Bible college and seminary, and this issue will come up even if indirectly. So I don't know how we're going to accomplish this. I do. We're just not going to talk about it. That doesn't mean we won't talk about Calvinists. But you know, if, if they if some Calvinist makes the headlines and we want to comment on something contemporary that's happening, uh, yeah. But are we going to talk about Calvinism? No, uh, I don't even know that we're going to even talk about soteriology because I've I've been working up the list for episodes for at least the next season and soteriology, election, the extent of the atonement, none of that stuff is on. There's so many things that we have not gotten to that frankly interest both of us more either in apologetics or theology, and even if we bump into certain passages that, that we want to talk about that uh, relate to Calvinism, we're just going to ignore Calvinism and just give our uh, take on it. <laughs> we're gonna, we may end up making the Calvinist mad the other way. You're yeah. not talking about Calvinism, or you should be. Right. But so, the but thing is, you wouldn't want us probably talking about it, us yeah. talking about now, it. So. We're just, the, the whole reason for that is um, you and I have been living with this for a while now, um, but if you're interested in this sort of thing, we have a show on the Trinity Commission uh, called Soteriology 101 with Leighton Flowers, and this is all he does. And so we don't need to do it. The, uh, all he does on that show. Yeah, the narrow path, Steve Gregg maybe hits it very rarely. The Bible Rowdown has stopped talking about it for the last year probably already. They've managed. Um, 
Uh, they, it comes up here and there, but they haven't really done a show. So basically what we have here is an opportunity for Jonathan to vent everything he wants to say <laughs> in this episode. You've got till the end of this episode. Uh, so go to our group. I recently purged our group of either inactive participants or people who um, uh, weren't, they, they didn't, they didn't live up to the uh, camaraderie and playful banterness of our thing, uh, of our group. Um, you know, we take but, God seriously. We take theology seriously. We just don't always take each other seriously. And if you come in there all sanctimonious and preachy, I don't care what you're shilling for, get out. Okay, we, but here's the thing. If you were in the group yeah. and, and you got kicked out, it may not have been because of that, right? It may have been because they just don't ever say anything in the group. Right. Okay, you need to come back in, and I'll let you back in. And I'm going to tell you right now why. I understand why you do that, and that's usually a good practice for Facebook groups in general. If you're not participating, what are you doing here, basically, right? But here's the problem. We have a lot of people that don't comment, and I have recently found out that for some of them, it's because they're atheists, and so they're in the group, and they enjoy listening to the conversation, but they don't want to participate because they're afraid they're going to get torn up or treated badly. I don't mean torn up like we'd overcome them with arguments. I mean, that goes without saying, but I mean, I'm your friendly voice here, right? Yeah. But, the, but the fact is, they may want to just be there. I did not know that. I, think yeah. all, I thought of all of our atheists were like the guy on YouTube who posts his doctoral dissertation. No, no, no. We've got one guy who just recently sent me a message, a private message. I'm not going to say who he is, so I'm protecting your privacy. Don't get upset about this. But he was asking me, so I've never heard anyone answer, uh, maybe he meant well, but I think he meant he just never heard anybody try to answer, will we have free will in heaven? Because, and this has nothing to do with Calvinism again. This is the free will answer Assuming to why does God will. allow evil in the world? And so I was answering uh, how, why I believe we'll have free will in heaven. And then the other question that he had was, uh, how does an old earth... Or, uh, oh, how do you deal with evil that is not the result of a moral choice? Mm. On a man's natural part? evil. Is. Right, natural evil, and especially if you have an old age yeah. creationism. And so I answered those questions. He was like, man, I've never had anybody get back to me that fast. So, a bunch of interesting was, questions that yeah. we could talk about all next season by not talking about soteriology. I'd be happy talking about them now. But yeah. anyway. Uh, well, so, hang on. Don't we, 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 need, we have 22 episodes a season, and we're trying to knock out two seasons a year. So let's not, you know, eliminate all of our future topic possibilities by talking about them now. I disagree. Because it is... Heartily disagree. No, I'll tell no. you why. Uh, we're not going to talk about it now. You don't... No, let's, but let's, no, 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 no. I'll tell you... No, 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 no. No, no. no, no. no you, you always talk over me. I'm going to say this. Fine. The reason we're, The reason I think you go through your best stuff when you have it is because it's like I told my daughter. She was trying to write a story, and she and she, and she's like, I've used up all the good stuff for this story in the first two pages or whatever. I'm like, no, that's fine. That's how I write. Because then you, the first two pages are, first of all, going to be awesome. And then second, you need to dig deeper and find new stuff to talk about. You don't just spread out your good stuff so much that it just becomes mundane good stuff. No, let the good stuff be really good stuff right up front, and then you dig deeper. I mean, I don't, maybe you're concerned you don't have anything else to say. I have plenty else to say. Okay, says the guy who comes into my office five minutes before the show. What are we going to talk about? Man? Yeah, because this season <laughs> yeah, you're de- because this season you're deciding what we say. So I'm asking you. Last season, which was our best season, I decided what we talked about, no, and you came in my office. You came in my office and said, says, "What are we talking says who about?" Last season was our best season. 
I'm giving you my personal subjective opinion. Okay. As 50% of this show. You're entitled to that. <laughs> Fit, whoa. Oh, that's a different claim. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Not, 75%. I've been doing this a whole lot longer. Right, but let's not. But you're not 50%. You're not even 75% of the show. Why is that? Did, you talk too much? Huh? Because you talk too much? That's part of it. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, who brings in the, to the crowd? I mean, you know. I think it was Sensei Roth, but he's not here anymore. We'll probably cut all this, but he even it got to the point where he would come in and carry my microphone from my office to here. Because you're a lazy slob. Because you're show. a lazy slob. He puts M&Ms without the green ones in my uh, green room before the show. There is no green room. And if I was paying, he runs if I was bringing you colored M&Ms. fills my cup with garbage if, water. If I was bringing so your, you yeah. M&Ms, you better be careful about those M&Ms. That's all I'm telling you. It's like last night. This is completely off the topic. We were watching. Everything we said is off the topic. I know. Well, it's because you don't have any content for this show. Right. But we were. <laughs> but all season, he's actually telling the truth. I, this was my season, and I blew it. Right. It's, it's been okay. We we had a one really great episode that was uh, Jesus Outside the Bible. Yeah. Um, of course, I picked that topic, but um, but 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 we were watching Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom last night, and you know, at the very beginning of that film, you know, the first scene, yeah, anything goes, yeah, and he's sitting there with these guys in Japanese, and the, and he's about to drink this drink, and yeah. he finally they make the deal, and he gets the diamond and all this, and then he takes the drink, and they're sitting there laughing at him, and he's like, "What are you guys laughing at?" And they're like, the, they're like, oh no, they're like, "What is what?" They hold this up, he's like, "What is that?" Antidote. Mm-hmm. Antidote dope for what? And he says, the poison. Mm-hmm. Dr. Jones, you just drank the poison. Ha, ha, ha. My wife was sitting there. She'd only ever seen that scene once. And really? she was like, why is he drinking that drink? <laughs> why is he drinking? You don't ever drink something in the presence of a mortal enemy. Yeah. That makes no sense. So don't eat those green M&Ms if I do give them to you. I was happy in Shanghai. Yeah. Anyway. Um, you call him Dr. Jones, doll. <laughs> That's right. You made a short round meme for me when I got my doctorate. Oh, I did, didn't I? You call him Dr. Pritchett. Dr. Pritchett, doll. Anyway, so. This has been Fun Time with Braxton and Jonathan. That's right. Thank you. And join us next. No, just kidding. Not yet. Um, What are. Oh, yes. So I did want to talk about, in addition to maybe taking a a last few shots of Calvinism before we can't just get Mm -hmm. it out of my system, Mm -hmm. did want to talk about there's an interesting story here recently where a professor was recently let go of a um, college because he was kind of snooping around behind the other professor's back getting information on beliefs that they held that he thought weren't um, representative of what they should be for the faculty at this particular institution. Granted, none of them were positions that were contrary to any document that they were required to sign. This guy was just kind of on his own, uh, what I would term theological McCarthyism. Okay? And, but, and he was let go, and some people were upset, and I was excited and happy, and I'm glad that turncoat McCarthyists like that are fired. Um, but it did raise an interesting, interesting question for me. Evangelicalism, on the whole, is a very big tent, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's... And we has gone on long enough, at least in the United States, where you have a class called evangelicalism, where ask any 
everybody within that tent, what is an evangelical? And you now start to get different answers beyond just a textbook answer. You know, one who's all about the gospel, Newt Gillian and all that, you know. But, but no, because now you have Al Mohler would be an evangelical. Braxton Hunter would be an evangelical. Uh, um, Self-loathing evangelical Jonathan Pritchett. I'm not an evangelical. Sonny, I'd rather be a fundamentalist than an evangelical. Evangelicalism came out of fundamentalism. But you're not a fundamentalist either. No, I'm not either. I like I like Austin Long's Paleo-Baptist because I, evangelicals, who knows what that is anymore. Anyway, well, it's so, what you are. So Greg Boyd would be an evangelical. Clark Pennock considered himself uh, an evangelical, these uh, open theists. Um you know, all these, you know, from Calvinism to open theism to... Um, okay, a bunch of evangelicals. Liberals. liberals it's really a big tent. Uh, the, political liberals. Some theological liberals would consider mm-hmm. themselves... Not many, but some. Yeah. So we don't know what... Even, so it's a big tent. It's a big tent. That's B- very big tent. Mm-hmm. So what now is outside of the tent? Does it depend... I mean, I suppose it depends on who you ask. But for a school like Trinity, for example... We have a very broad uh, and kind of inclusive doctrinal statement where it's very minimal mm-hmm. and fundamental. Now, I want to clarify a couple things. First of all, we're not talking about political issues, right? and that should be clear to people that are interested in a show about theology, but those are sometimes the same, sometimes those touch on the same things, right. sometimes they're not. So we're not talking about political Leftists. We're talking about theological stuff. Um, And secondly, the issue about the guy that you're talking about, I don't know that story. Yes. Whatever details you're given on this, I haven't verified, so I'm taking your word for it. Yes. Okay? Just want that on the record. (laughs) Um, But but, so your question is, what lies outside the bounds? What's outside of the bounds? Well, tell us. Well, everyone's going to have a different opinion. Obviously, what's outside of... I mean... Um, well, you didn't. St- you didn't decide. Bruce Winter wrote a book called Beyond the Bounds, right? And it, it, he said, he labeled open theism beyond the bounds. Why? Huh? What, what was his reasoning? Uh, because it's well, he didn't. He wasn't. It wasn't just because he just felt like it. What was? What reason did he give? Because historically, the the majority of of Christianity has always affirmed God's exhaustive foreknowledge. Okay. Now, no ecumenical council ever condemned this view. Mm-hmm. but has never held a consensus view. In well, that brings history. up an interesting right. corollary to this discussion that I think I thought about today. I, I wonder what you think about this. Okay. No, Bruce Ware's book was God's Lesser Glory. Okay. Sorry. The, the thing is, Somebody the councils, you know, that's important, but it's not like every possible theological view had already emerged prior to those councils for them to render thoughts about all those things. They're rendering thoughts about what is... What, what is orthodox? These right. are the things that we are saying. But yeah, is, right. Yeah. But they really, may have really said don't... other things right. if they'd known what was coming. Yeah. Well, we don't know, but we can't speculate what they would say. We can only uh, we can only look at what. Okay. That's that's important. Right. But all it mean all I'm saying by that is, I think this is a tough issue. Not with open theism, just this issue in general. Yes. We talk. We have talked ad nauseum privately about what should count as heresy, what is biblical heresy, how do we determine heresy, and yeah. often what we've come back to is in the sense that everybody means it, which isn't necessarily the same thing as what the Bible means when it uses the term that's translated uh, heresy, is what the councils say. That's what we've always kind of gone back to. Right. But here's the thing. Well, the first four. 
But here's the thing. After that, there have been theological positions emerge that I think we would have to say that the councils would have been against some of these positions. They might have. And made statements about them. We just don't know which ones. So then the question comes, so so does it, it matters what they thought, but does it matter to the exclusion of what we think okay, about Okay, do we this? care what synods in, in the uh, 16th century say? If they condemn something that you believe, do you care what they say? Because the Senate of Dort condemns... I care one way or the other. Well, I mean, is, no, do you care as far as... Is it going as, to impact whether I'm going to continue ascri- believing? Do you affirm what they affirm and, and reject what they condemn? The, no. uh, I'm not saying care from a historical interest. I'm saying care as in as it relates to what you're going to believe. No, I are you don't. Gonna, are you going to hold to the canons of Dort? No, but right. it may it may those even those can serve as guardrails. So we don't care what 16th century synods say. Do we care what theological professors in Louisville say? As far as what's, I mean, no. But I'm just saying. Right. So who gets to? What, do we care that, what the Vatican says? And do we care what Pope Francis can? Not that he'd condemn anything, but well, I certainly don't care what about that. <laughs> but I'm right. just I'm just saying, what are we set? What are you trying to say here? Well, what I'm trying to say is, is I'm the older I get. Wait a minute. Here's mm-hmm. where we're at. We agree that the councils are important, especially those four. Right. The first four. Those are important because to they our thinking. The they serve as warning signs. If you're getting too close to the edges, right. you should pay attention to what you're saying and doing yeah. and all that. Uh, but we're also saying that I'm saying they probably would have felt strongly and made some statements about things that they didn't know were coming, but here we are. And so it matters what they thought for sure, but it also matters what we think right now under the guidance of the Holy Spirit with the Bible and with a lot of theological training. And so what are you asking on the basis of that? Okay, well, there's global Christianity, there's um, our context and Western Christianity, then there's American evangelicalism or just even Western evangelicalism within Western Christianity and then within that American Christianity or whatever. Um, for me, the older I get, the less I'm wanting to anathematize people. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't, maybe I'm not saying that that's tied to maturity, but it's tied to maturity. Yeah, um, I'm, so, I'm the same way. So um, I really, and the more I get into kind of paleo orthodoxy, the the more and more I think it's a good idea. Uh, and paleo Baptist is because I don't dunk babies, so I don't believe in that. So I like Austin Long's paleo Baptist moniker. And, uh, you know, it's Thomas Odin, but he's a Methodist, so we're like Odin minus infant baptism. You so know, I, I like I'm not the, even going to try. I always try to, like, stop no, I'm, you I'm, and explain I'm, I'm what's being there. said. I'm getting there. I'm not even going to try today. I'm getting there. Okay. Okay, paleo-orthodoxy. Well, it's kind of like the Vincentian canon. St. Vincent. Oh, does that explain it for you? <laughs> now it's crystal clear. Fifth century guy, <laughs> fifth century Gaelic monk. He said the Catholic, and by that he did not mean the Roman Catholic, even mm-hmm. though the, the, the universal. Yeah, the universal Christianity. But the Catholics try to say that, mm-hmm. but that's not what he meant. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the fifth century, he said, you know, the, 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 Christ, the universal Christian faith is that which was believed everywhere, always, and by all. Mm-hmm. Okay? And if you were trying to look at what would that look like in the year 2018, soon to be 2019, what what do you still have that is believed by? And you know what you get? You get one canon, you get two testaments, you get three creeds, you get four councils, and you get the consensus of the fathers of the first five centuries, and that's it. That's what's believed. 
everywhere. He didn't know what was coming either. Right. He didn't either. But he did say that, that kind of stuck with people throughout the centuries. And they're Mm -hmm. like, yeah. And so what would that look like when he said it? Far different than what it would look like now, except for the fact that it was probably before the mid, before he died uh, around the mid part of the fifth century. What did they have? One canon, two creeds. Uh, I mean, one canon, uh, two testaments, three creeds, four councils, mm-hmm. and five centuries. Mm-hmm. So probably whatever that was is probably a good idea for that to still be. Now, I know people are going to say, yeah, but what about the Reformation? What about the Reformation? What about the Reformation? I'm sorry, but the Catholic Church had a ton of problems that even the Catholics acknowledged, that uh, a lot of that was tied to state and politics and, and money and all kinds of horrible things around the indulgences, the sale and purgatory, everything, all horrible. But some of the theology of the Reformation that replaced it, equally bad, mm-hmm. in my view. And their behavior was certainly equally bad in a lot of cases, right? So the Reformation, for me, I'm sorry, is way overrated, for one thing. The, the Radical Reformation was pretty okay, you know, except... The fact that most of them got killed. But aside from that little minor hiccup, um, their theology was at least trying to go further back towards like the early, early church fathers where they all believed in horrible things like free will and, you know, stuff like that. Um, so I'm not, plus the, the justification debate, that for me, uh, sorry, the Catholic theory and the Protestant Reformed theory, um, that fight was superimposed back onto the first century Jews were thought of as the Catholics of their day, and Paul was the Protestant, and, you know, it's so anachronistic that that fight, to me, irrelevant to what Paul's talking about in Galatians and Romans anyway. So, for me, I don't want people in the 16th century defining these things either, because it's no different than me today. That's just 500 years ago. Why not me? 501 years ago since the Luther did his thing. So why not me? Why, why don't I get to... Why don't you and I just get to be a council here and anathematize whoever we feel like? Well, to a certain degree, this is... We got into that sort of an idea in our... Well, not in terms of who we're going to anathematize, but in our last episode, we were talking about theological education and right. where the guardrails are and what's beyond the pale. I mean, we kind of already did that. But here's the question to make well, it practical, yeah. is this is the question that, while uh, you just gave a beautiful rant... Here's what some people are going to say. They're going to say, you're right. Those councils are fine. But here's the thing. Would you agree, and would those councils agree, that if you're worshiping a different God, then you're not a Christian? Well, yeah, of course. Okay, well, at what point, in terms of how we describe God, does he become a different God, and now you're worshiping a different God? I can answer that question, too. Notice that all of the Christological and theology proper issues revolved around ontology mm-hmm. and all of those things. In every instance, it's ontology. It's not, it's not what do you think Jesus did on the cross? Fine. So right. when does it change the ontology of God? When do your views... So if an open theist, for example... Right. And by the way, I, I, I'm not here to bash open theism. I'm actually saying that because we know open theists, this yeah. is a sensitive and important question for sure. us. So if you've got open theists who say, this is the kind of God we serve, the kind of God who knows everything, but by everything we mean not future tensed things, because the, for, because those things aren't things yet. 
or he limits his knowledge so that he doesn't know, or what you know, all the varieties well, I've of heard actual cla- well intentioned but misguided Southern Baptists. Yes, of course, like, you know, of course, there's a, yes, I've seen so. you know, Chris Fisher regularly posts things that, or people in his forum regularly post things that um, show up in mainstream Christianity that would only make sense literally if God is open. But the thing is, open theism... Those are theological gaps. Like, right, right. That's know, a, like Adrian Rogers looking through the corridors of time and all right, that right. stuff. I mean, really, that's not... But, but okay. here's the thing. So, so open theism is open theism describing a different God. I know an open theist who says, yes, yeah. and everybody else that knows about this and understands it is lost. Or is yeah. not really a and Christian. And I know open theists who say And no. I know Calvinists and uh, non-Calvinists who will say, and the open theist is worshiping a different God, because my God knows all true propositions, right. past, but present, here's and future. But here's where I have to... Here's where, here's where I land on that particular issue. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's an ontological difference because it's a difference in contents, but that's like saying... But the best forms of open theism that like that Greg Boyd would espouse, I think, is like the closest one to being reasonable, would be like saying... I don't. I no more deny God's knowledge being full and complete of all logically knowable things. Just like I no more deny His omnipotence by saying God can't create a burrito too hot to eat, right? So they're right. not saying they're not they're not changing the ontology so much as they're changing the logically possible and the content. So yeah, for, that's true. So that that is just a different way of understanding. It's not an ontology. So but that's not going to satisfy the critics. The critics are going to say. Fine, right? But I'm still saying there's a that God knows the truth value of all propositions, and the open theist is saying he, no, he doesn't. I, I, and and they would say, yeah. And, and in fact, I know I, I don't know anyone like I've gotten reactions when I've said things like, no, God can't create a married bachelor or a two dimensional square circle because those things are logically contradictory, right? It's not that God can't do those things. They're not. Those things. are not things to be done. Right. They're not things. But then they'll say, okay, well, you worship... I've never had anyone say this, but I can certainly imagine it. Uh, oh, you worship a God that can't do all things. You you worship a God who can't create two-dimensional square circles. My God can do all that and more. Right, and this you know? is where... So you worship a different is, God. Yeah, and that's where it's just stupid. It's like it's like Sonny and Theodore saying, you worship a different Jesus because your Jesus died for everyone, and my Jesus right. died for the... That's right. And it's stupid. I agree, but the point is... Even if you want to point back to the first four councils and you try to define this thing very tightly so that we're not kicking people out who shouldn't be probably kicked out, there's always going to be people who find loopholes and ways to try and uh, reason it like, well, yeah, but they would say a different God and we're describing now a different God. There's always going to be people who find that stuff. Right. And you wouldn't necessarily disagree with them on principle. For instance, I know of a couple of theological positions that you think means somebody's worshiping a different God that, you know, a lot of other people wouldn't say so. Right. And you know what I'm talking about. So how, so, so what do you do there? Well, it just comes back down to we get to decide for ourselves. Well, no, because that issue that I know what you're talking about is uh, handled in the ancient <laughs> creeds and confessions, and they don't affirm it. No, that's an example. You're criticizing the example right. instead of the point of the example. Yeah, those people need to repent because they're going to go to hell if they don't believe in it. Because that is an ontological issue. So, 
uh, that was handled in the early councils and creeds. So mm-hmm. that's where I draw the line. Does nobody has to care where I draw the line? No one has to care where anyone else. Draws well, they the do line. because they're watching this show because they care what you and I think, and so you're giving them reasons here, here, why they should agree with you. Okay, here, yes, and I'm being your interlocutor. Okay, fine, um, <laughs> but there are also people who you know. There's a spectrum here because somebody could accuse anyone who affirmed. Okay, well, you just you just think Catholics are Christians too. So some Protestants are going to automatically, you know, yeah, they believe in Jesus and a lot of dumb things. You know what? Baptists believe in Jesus a lot of dumb things, and so do Presbyterians believe in Jesus a lot of dumb And we all believe in Jesus probably wrong about something. That's what I mean by dumb things. I don't mean that they're stupid. Okay, so what you need to do then is you need to list off for us those councils so that people can go out, and I know you know them, and go out and look these up and see what they said specifically because otherwise they're just coming into they're leaving this show knowing he said some smart people somewhere in church history said something yeah. I don't know any more than when I started this podcast they need a sensible reasoned way to know what's beyond the pale that is Pritchett approved okay so right. what are those councils well of course the first one being Council of Nicaea where Constantine invented Christianity and decided to throw out all the true books of the Bible and mm-hmm. you know all, include all the bad ones that we read now, because that's what Dan Brown says, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Something like that. And yeah. actually, none of that's true. That's mostly nonsense. But uh, the Council of Nicaea, and that's for, you know, that's number one. Number two would be uh, the First Council of Constantinople. Yeah. Uh, the second one, or the third one, would be the Council of Ephesus, which is always a popular one in soteriology debates because of Pelagianism, right? Um, and then the fourth one would be. Uh, the Council of Chalcedon, which we get the Chalcedon definition, um, which sadly has come under hard times now because N.T. Wright says that that was when we that was when the early church fathers stopped treating Jesus as Israel's Messiah, which I think is a dubious claim. I, I, I don't. But those four councils um, cover things like um, Arianism. Uh, Macedonianism, Nestorianism, uh, and, and heresies like that, which are mainly Christological heresies, you know. Um, so uh, uh, those four councils, people need to go check those out um, and look up those heresies. And the reason why I point to those, though, actually, the reason... when Or I you can a, just watch my documentary on the seven churches, I get into all that. Well, but you actually... well. But you actually were there at the Council of Ephesus, where... I mean, I wasn't there at the Council of Ephesus. You were there at the location of the Council of Ephesus. <laughs> I'm 38, man. I already right. feel old enough. <laughs> you were, there you were. <laughs> you know, no, I no, stood in, in the, at the location, church where they did it, right. Church of St. Mary in and, Ephesus. And, and it's, that's incredible, mm-hmm. right? And people were like, yeah, they were condemning you, you Pelagian heretic, because yeah. that's what you are, uh, according to well, certain... Council of Ephesus right. reaffirmed the... Heresy of poli- that, that we uh, yeah. consider it heresy, yeah. yeah. So okay, so go look up those, see what they said, and you've got Pritchettarian theology. Now, when I was, but when I was a, bio, a student at Biola, I was actually reading um, a Norman Geisler book, mm-hmm. right? And it was a you know why Catholicism is crappy and you need to repent and believe in Jesus, mm-hmm. even though. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was interesting. He, there was a phrase in there, I can't remember on what page, but it says, you know, witnessing to Catholics are easy because they already believe in Jesus, so it shouldn't be hard to get them saved. Mm. I was like, wait a minute, you're supposed to believe in Jesus to be saved. <laughs> but well, Norman Geisler is Norman Geisler, so we're not going to just 
punch a kitten. Um, and that kitten has spoken at our commencement program here at Trinity. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, uh, but that kitten also insulted a very dear friend of yours. That's and, true. Yeah. Um, but in that book, and I can't f- remember the name of the book, but in the, that was the first time I actually saw uh, that whole idea of... I think it was a quotable Geisler or something. No, it, it was Roman Catholics are evil and... They, yeah. 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 Uh, I can't remember the name of the book. Uh, the co-author of that book with Norman Geiser, coincidentally, uh, you know, was an evangelical, uh, probably wrote the majority of it because I don't think Norman Geiser actually writes both of the books that his name is attributed to. Ah, I think he does. You do? Yeah. Well, anyway, his co-author, who may have written 50% or more, uh, actually went and became Catholic. <laughs> so go figure. <laughs> After writing, but that was where I first saw that 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 phrase, and I don't think that he coined it, but that whole one uh, canon, two testaments, uh, yeah. three creeds, four councils, in the first five centuries. Because mm-hmm. like that's where that's where we agree with these Catholics. And then I started looking into that, and it's like, well, that's where actually the Catholics and the Orthodox and the East and the West all agree, Protestant mm-hmm. Catholic. So here's the thing: for some people, that's nowhere near enough. Hmm. Uh, for some people, that's nowhere near enough for church fellowship, of course. They're going to say, nah, we're going to be good with the Westminster Confession. We don't, uh, we're happy to partner with the, the London Baptist Confession Calvinists in parachurch stuff. But when it comes to local church, you got to be just this or just that, or the Baptist faith and message is our thing, or whatever, right? Uh, people are not going to anathematize you for not holding to their more particular statement of faith, but they're not going to let you worship in their church, you know. So here's a question for so, you. Yeah. Take all that stuff out of the way, and let's get real practical. No, but what I'm saying is, is let's this, get my, real, my view is not going to be enough. Let's get real people. close to home on that point. But that's my point. I'm going to say something okay. about this point. I'm not leaving this point. Okay. Hold on to your point. Church fellowship. So would you be okay with your kids... If you happen to know that all their closest friends were, say, affirmed conditional immortality. Would I be okay? Yeah. I would. Okay. Would you be okay if all your if your kids were best friends and they were over at and the parents were big time Bible students, like love talking about the Bible all mm-hmm. the time, and they're going over to their house. All right, first of all. We're glad that's their friends. <laughs> They're hanging out with people that are interested in the Bible. But their parents are open theists, and those kids are open theists. And the dad says a lot of open theistic stuff all the time. Are you okay with your kids having those as their primary influences? Yes, and then I would go over there and argue with their dad and say, look, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to indoctrinate your kids when they're at my house. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're going to have indoctrination But what, but what I say... Your friends and his daddy are going to hell because they believe in... No, but that's not the question. We're talking about who you fellowship with. Um, Yeah, I could fellowship with open theists. I could go to church with open theists. Well, no, I I can too. In a church the size of our church, I probably do go to church with open theists. I could go to church with open theists. I could be friends with open theists. I think I am. The question is... They don't like you, but... To you what like degree... <laughs> yeah, they're the ones that are more... They're rude, aren't they, sometimes? ...upset about this than... Right. It's kind of like... Here we go. Last season, last episode. <laughs> it's kind of like the only people that really care about the apologetic methodology debate are presuppositionalists. Yes. And those are usually Calvinists. Right. And everybody else is like, oh, geez, here we go. Yeah. Except for Eric Hernandez, who's like, no, let's fight. 
<laughs> Let's talk about methodology. Yeah. But the rest of us are like, oh, geez, oh, what the heck? Here we go again. But... Hey, I take up for that on this show every now and then. Insofar as that, not for presuppositional lists, but we I take yeah, up yeah. for presuppositionalism. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. And and the, uh, the 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 Calvinists are the only people who get ate up about that. And the open theism thing, they they're the, they get so <clears throat> ate up with everyone else who doesn't see it their way because we're all a bunch of Neoplatonist Plotinus worshipers. Not that any of them, maybe Chris Fisher, but not that any of them ever read Plot- I got Plotinus in my great book set. The six in it, but not that any of them had ever read Plotinus or Plato for that matter. If they put read Plato, they'd be way cooler than they are, mm. right? Everyone should read Plato. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't like Plato, you if you can't separate how awesome Plato is from whether or not he negatively influenced Christianity, don't talk to me. I just, yeah, I don't if have time for that kind of thing. It, it, you if know? you haven't read, I'll I'll quote Ronald Nash here. If you haven't come to understand the cave, Plato's cave, then you don't have your white belt in philosophy yet. Okay. And when you study uh, Plato and, and the world of higher things and, and all these kind of things, you'll, you'll get, well, you can say world of higher things or the forms. Mm-hmm. There's a form of, the, this is the word Plato breaks down. Mm-hmm. If there's a form for everything, then it means there's a form for the perfect Pritchett, and perhaps this is not him, and there's a form for the perfect pile of cow manure right. somewhere, right? But here's the thing. Um, there, sometimes when he talks about... Otherwise the, known as Calvinism. When he talks about the good... Now, people are going to say I'm some kind of heretic for this, yeah. but when he talks about the good sometimes, you, you, you start to think this man came as close to grasping things right. as anyone by general revelation ever got. Right, and Alfred North Whitehead said that, that all philosophy is footnotes to Plato, mm-hmm. right? So, but, and you know what? It's, it's that whole thing that you deal with in Old Testament studies, right? Um, where there's parallelophobia, parallelomania, and transmission of sources. That we know that, I mean, just Pluto was in the air in the New Testament world. Just was, right? I mean... Uh, you can't listen to Crito, you can't listen to the Apology, and you can't read certain statements that Paul says about the dies to gain or whatever, and not hear echoes of Plato, right? It's just impossible. But regardless of what you make of all that, um, it just seems to me that, that in Old Testament studies, people are like, um, oh no, there, we, we can't let this wider, ancient, Near Eastern milieu of categories and, and ideas and thought mess with our pristine Bible. And we can't let these this Greek influence mess with our pristine Hebrew first century Paul as if he wasn't aware, you know, so he's completely shut out from uh, the Hellenization that engulfed the world, including Jerusalem and including Galilee, by the way. I mean, there's like a bunch of uh, Sophros and, and, and Troas and these cities that have Greek names in Gal. I mean, you just everything is Hellenized. Besides so, which, let's so get back to the issue at hand. If don't you, whine about that. If, open if theist, you look if a, silly. Forget whether or not there's a Greek pagan influence on the New Testament. Forget that. The question is: Do philosophers sometimes discover things that happen to be true? Yes. Yes, they do. And do do scientists sometimes discover things? that then philosophers can tell you whether it's true, right? Yeah. Scientists, I'm giving you a thing for scientists. But the thing about it is, when we make discoveries about this, uh, about the nature of reality, right. does that 
influence how we understand the world God made and maybe what his nature is somewhat like? Yeah. If, like, the whole timeless thing. Right. You know, some people are just happy to say, no, I don't, I'm, I'm not interested in that discussion because that's all philosophy. Yeah, it is philosophy. So is all of theology. So, so what? You can't... All, 100% of theology right. is philosophy. Right. And, and 100%. If time... Now, now we can have a discussion... You say, no, theology is... The Bible, you use hermeneutics, it's philosophy. We can, you use exegesis, we can philosophy. have a discussion about whether or not time is a created thing, or whether or not time is real, or whatever. But the fact is, if time, if we have come to understand through science or philosophy that time is an aspect of this universe, right. space-time, in that way, then I'm sorry, that impacts something about the nature of theology. Yeah, and these are proper. the kinds of arguments that I would have with my... Son, oh, and by the way, it's completely right. consistent with the Bible, right? <laughs> uh, properly understood, right? So, um, so now that we've alienated Calvinists and open theists, we actually think it's that, a season finale, right? And these we are act, fireworks and, going off. And believe it or not, we both think that they're both going to heaven. Yeah. Now, is it allowed? Should you hold that view, or is it outside the camp of not not going to hell, but is it outside the camp of orthodoxy? Well, not if you're going by those four councils, right? But uh, that just goes that back to what do you mean? Canon. Yeah, that I, which is believed everywhere, always, and by everyone. That still that 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 one. But if you're dividing the two, church with false doctrine. If you're dividing the church, yeah. and by false doctrine, I don't mean that in the meanest possible way. I mean just a, a doctrinal position that is false, uh, which does, I understand, begs the question whether it's false, right? But if you're dividing the church with false doctrine, that is, you know... But what if you're dividing the church over a secondary issue? I mean, Paul seems to be very concerned about the unity of the church, but you want to say you talk about someone who divided not a local church sense, but like the Evangelical Church in the United States of America. We can go to John MacArthur's Strange Fire Conference, talk about dividing people and calling Are you saying of... that, like, open theism and Calvinism are not secondary issues? I'm saying they are. Of course they are. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. I'm saying someone... My thing is, if somebody's dividing fellowship and, and telling people they're lost and stuff on secondary issues, mm-hmm. that person is dangerous. I agree. And... Just like John MacArthur, to me, was dangerous when he was anathematizing total swaths of charismatics. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very dangerous for these kind of things. So but people, are, people, the criticism against me is, you're too loosey-goosey with that uh, uh, centennial canon. That's too loosey-goosey, right? You're letting Eastern Orthodox with their weird stuff go to heaven and Catholics go to heaven, and you're letting open theists go to heaven, and you're letting whoever go to heaven... So people are going to... I don't care that they well, say that about it's, me. Yes, I'm a pretty ecumenical guy. I don't care that people on a discernment blog says, you know, this guy doesn't think that Christians are going to hell. Fine, write that article. I'm cool here's, with it. Here's the thing. Out. It's like one of somebody on the... By the way, if you want to be on the private Marco Polo group for Trinity Radio listeners, all you have to do is become a patron by visiting trinityradio. or patreon.com slash trinityradio, or if you're watching the video, just clicking up here somewhere. But the but the point is... It's always by Ron L. It's, Hubbard, it's, it's, who wants money, it's right? L. Ron Hubbard, L. yes. L. Ron Hubbard, yeah, but, it's, it's so fitting. But here's the thing. If you'd like to join the cult of Braxton and That's Jonathan, what, click over it's here. It's not a cult. <laughs> send us your money. I we'll mean, it is you. a sect, yeah. but it's... We'll send you... What are we going to send them? 
we'll send you dirty mud water from the Ohio River, and it'll heal something, or it'll give you, it'll make you sick, probably. <laughs> One a third arm. Drift I have I have a point to make, and it's it's gone. What were we saying? Okay, we were talking about I'm loosey goosey letting everyone into heaven. But if you were talking about somebody like we have on the Patreon channel, which you can join. Oh, we had someone on the Marco Polo ask me, or ask us, uh, and, and now a new Trinity student, by the way. So we were talking about a particular group, and he said, so now can you believe that and be saved? Or No, no, that one we say, he said, so are those people saved? Is that church saved? I was like, okay, well, first of all, whether or not a particular individual within an organization is truly a born-again <coughs> believer uh, is a different question from the stated beliefs of that organization. Right. I know a lady in McMinnville, Tennessee, where I used to pastor, who, because some nice Mormon boys helped remove apartments and she didn't know what Mormonism is, that's the fault of the other church life she had, that nobody mm-hmm. told her this, or somehow she missed it, but she was going to a Mormon church for several weeks before she and thought they were just a church. Yeah. So according to their stated beliefs, are, are, can you be saved believing what Mormons believe? No. Can you be saved as a person who happens to have found themselves in a Mormon physical structure on on a particular day of the week? Yeah, you can be saved because individuals within an organization can be saved despite the stated beliefs of that organization. Now, once they know the stated beliefs and understand what's going on, they shouldn't be there. Yeah, but have you, from what I understand, most that's a part of the, the problem with LDS churches is they're so in their main worship services, vanilla on their doctrine that everything we find objectionable. Oh, well, here's the thing. This is why churches need to do the best they can. Good evangelical churches need to do the best they can to try and educate people about cults and do more apologetics in the church. Amen, which is what we believe and what we've been trumpeting for years. So we said we were going to keep this to 30 minutes. It's minute 54 right now. Did we say that? <laughs> we In privately private. said that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I get it that my standard is loosey-goosey. I get that. Um, but I do think it's a good standard before we start anathematizing people. I don't think it's a standard for local church fellowship. I don't even think it's a standard for denominational fellowship. But I do think that it well, is a standard that's, for That's the point. That's why I brought up your kids. That's yeah. why I brought up your kids. Because I, don't, I wouldn't blame someone. Okay, look, I, I want my kids... To, to believe like I do because I think I'm right. Right. Okay. Right. If I didn't think I was right, I would believe something else. And I want right. my kids to be right. And since I happen to think I'm right, hey, that's convenient. Teach my kids what I believe. Right. But it's not that I don't want them to know what other people believe. I want them to know about all these isms because I want them to be prepared for it. And on secondary doctrinal issues, I'm okay with them exploring it. But that doesn't mean that when they're 10 years old, I throw them out there to a church with a bunch of people that believe completely differently than me, and I'm just okay with it. Are those people going to hell? No, but I don't want my kid believing something I think is false. Right. So yes, it can be a, a thing that you are careful about where you go to church and who your kids spend time with. And if it's a big enough issue with you that you're going to cause division, maybe you need to remove yourself from certain places. Right. But that doesn't mean those people are lost. Right. Depending on the issue. Yeah. Um, and I do, there is something to be said there. There's a certain issues that the church fathers never got to. And I completely understand That's my point. The, the understanding of that. And I think that there are, if you want to do the work, you could probably find out which way they'd lean on it if you read their work. Carefully, mm-hmm. 
and exegeted it as carefully as you would the Bible, by the way, uh, to fu- before you make claims. Of, everyone makes claims about the early church fathers based on snippets and random sentences that they probably found some, in some <clears throat> other scholars' work and not necessarily from the original source because it becomes obvious they never read it because they're repeating a scholar who never read it because he's repeating a scholar who did read it, but he's using it for something else. And that's part of the problem is that people get further and further away from the primary sources. But... Be that as may, here's my fundamental problem with that, though. Just like I don't want to be the making decisions of what view that Johnny come lately to the question table is anathematized, I don't want you to be the guy. I don't want professors in Louisville, Kentucky to be the people, and I don't want uh, the Vatican to be the people. So, Well, don't worry, because honestly, uh, as we face the future yeah. of church life and faith in the 21st century... Um, I think I think the, the, the what we're really going to have to focus on. Obviously, we want doctrinal purity. That's true, yeah. but we're going to have to face a bunch of lost people. That's what we're facing: a bunch of people attacking the church, attacking Christianity, right. attacking our views from other religions and from atheism. Yeah. And so, yeah. And I also want to qualify my statements. All of these statements are excluding uh, the. And I can say this because I'm as a charismatic and a continuationist. All the nonsense, obvious, heretical, not even really related to Christian beliefs, like historic Christianity of the charismatic movement, the excesses of it, <clears throat> like some of those crazy, you know, grave suckers and stuff like that. That's obviously outside of historic traditional Christianity as well. Yeah, no council condemned. Uh, eating grass and sucking graves and getting high on the Holy Ghost by pretending to smoke a reefer with your fingers. But that's just stupid. And so, you know. <laughs> if, if, if. Uh, obviously, those people are also, the, yeah, says, well, what council could do that? Uh, no, I'm talking about, I'm talking about traditional Christianity. That stuff's not Christian. That stuff's just weird stuff. If, if we're, um, if you're a first-time listener or you've not been listening very long, but somehow you made it to minute 58 of this episode... Binge watch all of our episodes until we come back for season 10. Well, that's not what I was going to say. What I was going to say is... Well, that's what I'm saying. If binge you, watch. If you, if you, Get them views up. If you've made it this far, you might think, why do we... You Who cares? You're getting so technical with all this stuff, making it all science-y. Why, why don't you just believe Jesus? Okay, well, first of all, it's kind of what we're saying, but secondly, the thing is, we take theology... If you think that your medical state of affairs is important enough that you want some doctor to go this deep with medicine and the physiology of the human body so that you make sure you get the right thing and everything's done right and all that, if that's important, if we're believers, we should believe that this is infinitely more important than your physical body. And so we want to take it seriously. We want to go as deep as we can, and we want to, you know, uh, parse hairs on issues like this so that we know... Is that right? Parse hairs? Do you parse hairs? Split hairs. You split hairs? Don't parse anything. (laughs) Just, Just trust us. This is important enough that it's worth splitting hairs over to get to the truth um, as best we can understand it. So um, if you'd like to learn more about Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary, visit us at trinitysem, that's trinitysem.edu, where you can take courses with Dr. Pritchett, and he can go on about this kind of stuff ad nauseum. You can take uh, uh, courses with me where we talk about apologetics and evangelism and some of these weird cults, too. And so we love you to do that, but if you don't do that, that's what you should do, but at least you can go visit 
BragCenter.com and get a bunch of free resources there. Um, but also check out the Trinity Commission, which is our podcast consortium with Leighton Flowers of Sociology 101, Steve Gregg of the Neuropath.com, and uh, Billy Wendelin and Matt Chisholm of the Bible Brodown. Hopefully we'll be expanding the Trinity Commission in 2019. We've got some potential things we're looking at to expand that as well. Anyway, thank you for your attention this season. We really appreciate everyone who watches and shares, and especially our patrons. You're the best. And we will see you next season. Thank you, and God bless. This is the last word. As a child, Christmas was particularly magical. Crawling downstairs each year, I would inspect my presents under the cover of darkness, lifting them to notice the weight of each and tilting them back and forth to examine how tightly they'd been packed. I operated like a Christmas scientist. For some reason, the smell of the wrapping paper was enticing then in a way that it never was when the rolls were stacked in the closet. Illuminating the room in soft shades of green and red, the lights that adorned the tree transported me into a world of dreams and myth. Reality came crashing in when we opened our gifts each Christmas Eve, as was our family's tradition. As the fire flickered beside the tree, which still glowed with the lights of the night before, my father would begin the speech, which seemed more like a creedal statement. After reading the birth narrative of Jesus, he would always say, Now, Marilyn, boys, we really ought to appreciate this time we have together as a family tonight. Only the Lord knows when one of us might be gone, so appreciate this Christmas season, because there's always a chance one of us won't be here next year. Sheesh. Such a comment would suck the joy out of the holidays, you might think. And it's for that reason that he stopped making the well-known speech at the annual gathering. However, what it did was familiarize us with the idea of Christian death and what it means for a believing family member to pass. We became a bit more comfortable each year with the idea that one day we would all face the grave, the one that has been conquered by our Lord. We enjoy our family while they live, but dying they will live on. We will one day trade a tree of lights for a city of lights. Death will die. This is one reason for hope. If you would like more content, click here and keep watching Bible studies, click up here. And finally, we want you to subscribe. We need more subscribers, so click here.